You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Lake Kick is live a little bit later than usual, but live nonetheless. Thank you so much for being with us. It is Sunday night, May 23rd, the year of our Lord, 2021. Hey, I can guarantee you this at least. We're jam-packed. Don't always know what time we're going to hit the air, but I know we're going to be jam-packed. Not slowing down. I'm told that these are supposed to be the slowest months of the year for us. If that's any indication, we may have like uh, three-hour-long shows in the fall, but we are... I mean, I'm looking at it right now, literally jam-packed tonight. We're doing part two of our late kick schedule draft. I was going to put this off until next month, but we got such good response from the first version of this that we did, I think a week ago tonight, said, why not? Because we can do different iterations of this anyway. We can revise it. So we're going to do part two, weeks seven through 13, so the end of the year, of our schedule draft. And that's where we're just picking one place to go each week. And I do mean we, because I have already been swayed on one of the games that we picked for the first half of the season. I'm going to give you some... Some of, not all of them, but the biggest questions for each Power 5 conference, we're kind of going to start that list tonight. We certainly won't end it. JT Daniels is out in California, and he took like half of Georgia with him. All the wide receivers, tight ends, running backs out there. So I'm going to discuss that within the broader context of what we should expect. What is it fair to expect from the Georgia offense this year? Hey, can they win a national championship? That's really what we want to know. Also, Chris Hummer put out like a million impact freshmen to watch, and it is time, around this time of year, preview magazine season, if you will, and some of them are on newsstands. It's got that new magazine smell to it. Smells like college football to me, and perhaps some delusion, but nevertheless, college football season on deck. Impact freshmen are as important a singular topic this time of year as at any point in the history of the game, really, because freshmen have never been more ready, just by and large, they're case by cases, obviously, but by and large, your average freshman is just more ready to play, especially the ones we have rated in the top 50, top 100. They're just coming in on average more ready to play. And so they will impact division and conference races this year. I'm going to give you several names tonight before we go off the air to pay attention to. Three questions. I get these every week. Let me quickly run down the list. Merchandise. When is it coming? When I know, you'll know. Number two, Pate State mascot name. Did you miss it? Did we name it and you just, you just missed that? No. Got the name. Some of you who may have been in one of the show owners association meetings, you may have caught me slip up and let that name out. I will let you know when it's time to let you know. So don't worry. We got a few weeks for that, but that's coming. You have not missed anything. And number three, and this is broad, but you guys by the dozens and dozens and dozens every day ask this, what can you do to help? Almost as if you're ready to just hand over hundred dollar bills. No, don't need that. Believe it or not, we're one of the only entities out there that would turn down your money. Don't need that. What we do need is for you to like these videos, subscribe to this channel. In the podcast, click five star for that review. You can write a review too. You can even submit a question in the review. Those things help us. And as I've told you the past couple of weeks, more so than really anything else, what helps us is sharing our content and really just getting on Twitter, Instagram and whatnot, and just giving that photographic screenshot evidence that you're watching and listening to the show and then just spread it out there. And I'll probably share it if you do. That's it. That's all. You Being our marketing department, that's really the only job that we ask you to do. Other than that, sit back and just enjoy because we're about to dive in. I am doing the entire show left-handed tonight in honor of Phil Mickelson, by the way. And before we even dive into talking about college football in the micro, in the macro, did any of you pay attention today? I just hope that you were watching the PGA Championship. This is not a golf show, but... Did you see the 18th? Did you see really the 17th and the 18th? Did you see basically Happy Gilmore 2 being filmed live on location in South Carolina today? I've told you I think a renaissance year is coming for college football. And I've turned on college baseball recently, and I've turned on PGA tournament action recently, and I'm looking and I'm saying, these atmospheres look about 150% of what they used to be prior to COVID, prior to the pandemic. And what's happening right now is people are realizing they lost something and they're getting it back. They were hungry for it. I mean, starving for it. Now, if you're watching this show, you're probably a hardcore college football fan and you had to sit at home. About 98% of you had to sit at home along with me and watch the sport that you're normally in person watching last year, or you're normally outside a stadium tailgating for last year and you missed it. You met one of your long lost buddies 
but he'll be back. And he'll be back in about 98 days. And so if golf looks like that and baseball looks like that, I just want to warn you, if you're not one to enjoy rabid, ferocious, incredible scenes at college football stadiums, like maybe, you I don't know, what we saw today times 50, this year's college football is probably not going to be for you. College football is going to be insane this fall. That's why we are uh, not slowing down right now, and we're very excited to talk about it because we're just going to beat the rush. I think a lot of people will realize what we're talking about. When you see that first week and you see the spectacle on full display and you realize it's back, because that's really when it's going to hit you, when your eyeballs actually see it and you realize it's back, then you'll know and everyone else will know. So let's dive in tonight, shall we? The late kick schedule draft, we already did weeks one through six, and I wanted to quickly recap what we did and why we're doing this before we dive into the second half of the season, because we got huge feedback on this. I mean, copious amounts of feedback. This is not final. This list is not final. And so we're drafting basically one game to go to per week. Now, Jesse is showing you, if you're watching on YouTube, and if you're not, I'll recap it for you, the games we already chose. And keep in mind what we're trying to do here. We are essentially at Lake Kick, we're able to go cover a game every week, can only be in one place at one time, but what we're trying to do is get to as many places as possible, see as many high caliber teams as possible, but see the best games and make sure we're not leaving there with regret, having gone to the wrong game. We saw a blowout, the other games were instant classics, we don't want to be that, so we want to be in as many good situations as possible. So weeks one through six, tentatively, here's what we chose. We're going Georgia-Clemson, that's a neutral site opener in week one. Oregon at Ohio State in week two. Week three, we went Bama at Florida. Pause on that one because I'm going to come back to it. Notre Dame versus Wisconsin in Chicago. That was the week four game. Auburn at LSU in week five. I'm soft on that one. Mine can be changed. And Bama at AM for week six. But that's also OU Texas up the road. I told you if you got a noon versus 8 p.m. kickoff situation, could make both of them happen. I told you pause on what was it, Alabama at Florida because Boy, you came, and I mean by the, I think hundreds probably, at the very least dozens if not hundreds of you poured into the Late Kick inbox on Twitter and Instagram, at Late Kick Josh, even the email inbox filled up, and you said, you probably want to rethink that. You can get to a Florida game, Alabama game later on, you're probably, if they do the whiteout at Penn State for the Auburn game, you're going to want to get up there for that. And I agree with you. I just assumed they were going to do it for the Michigan game. But I was looking over things, and I'm 50-50 on that right now, so I could we got some time, but I could very easily be swayed. But with that in mind, because strategy plays a lot into where we're going to go one week to the next, let's dive into week seven, because week seven is all about strategy. We've got a Friday game that could very well qualify as the game that I choose to go to. Cal is at Oregon on Friday in week seven. Also, look at the lineup here. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see it. Florida is at LSU. We got Miami at North Carolina. This is a sneaky game in the Big 12. I don't think right now you'd circle it, but let's come back and see later on what TCU is. We got TCU at Oklahoma. Out on the West Coast, again, if UCLA gets rolled by 30 in week one, this may not be an issue. But if they surprise LSU and they're all of a sudden this surprise contender, thereafter on the West Coast, a game like UCLA at Washington, Arizona State at Utah could very well decide the Pac-12 South. I don't think I've talked about Arizona State enough on the show, to be honest with you. Here's the strategy. The strategy is I actually chose Cal at Oregon because I think we could get a twofer here. There's a lot of benefit to your game being the Friday night game. Number one, really, if you wanted to, you could just go to Cal at Oregon and I knock off Autzen Stadium, which we haven't been able to do this year yet, and we won't be able to do. Number two, we also get a big time game there. But number two is you either get to go home and ingest an entire Saturday of college football wherever you want to in front of a TV, or how about this? How about we make the flight relatively short by West Coast standards to Utah? What if we were to see Cal at Oregon on Friday and we were to see Arizona State at Utah on a Saturday? That knocks off four of the big boys in the Pac-12. It gets two Pac-12 games in, and it's very tough to do that and get back to Nashville in time to host a show on Sunday night. So I'm going to go Cal at Oregon with the asterisk next to that, even though Jesse's not going to graphically show you the asterisk next to that is We could probably knock out two here if we wanted to. On to week eight. I want your feedback on all these, by the way, because this is not final until we all collectively agree it's final. How about week eight? LSU is at Ole Miss. That's a very sneaky game. I have not thus far chosen an Ole Miss game. That could change. Ohio State's at Indiana. 
Ohio State, when this number came out, was a 10-point favorite. I have not checked it over the last couple of days, but that's going to be a very competitive game. Oklahoma State at Iowa State. Got my eyeballs on that one. Oregon is at UCLA. Ditto what I said previously about what could be versus what may not be on the West Coast. But USC is at Notre Dame. I'm passing on Cincinnati at Notre Dame, and I'm passing at North Carolina at Notre Dame. And because I'm passing on both of those, I got to choose USC at Notre Dame. So I need to get to South Bend for at least one. I would prefer to. When Notre Dame is a contender, I want to get up there every year. It's one of my favorite stadiums I've ever been to. I would assume this will be a night game, that NBC probably 7.30 Eastern time kickoff. It's the only chance I'll probably get to see USC this year. And it's very likely to be a one-possession game. I don't know that we're going to find ourselves leaving Southern Cal at Notre Dame and saying, boy, man, that was a dud. That turned into a 44-20 to 20 route. I just don't think that's going to happen this year. Also, whether you were born in 1943, 73, 93, or 2013, it's, it's a uniform game. How do you go wrong picking Trojans and Irish? You don't. So I think that we got a wide variety of people who watch Late Kick. We got some older folks. Excuse me. We have a more seasoned audience, and then we have a much younger audience. But I don't think anyone can push back on choosing to see those two programs go at it because they've mattered across the spectrum of generations is my point. So let's go USC at Notre Dame there again. I'm open to you talking me off that, but where would we go elsewhere? LSU at Ole Miss, there is a strong case to be made for that. Ohio State, Indiana, I can get. Listen, I'm trying to get to Iowa State. More on that in a second. Let's move to week nine. Week nine was tough. I've already been out there with a Twitter poll today exclusive to week nine because week nine, I I have a situation here where I wish I could spread some of these games out, kind of like week six, but we can't. So I think this is the next toughest week to choose from. We've got Georgia versus Florida, Jacksonville. We got Florida State at Clemson. Look at this list that Jesse's showing you. Iowa at Wisconsin is a massive game. I I could pick two or three other weeks. If I dropped that one there, it would be a no-brainer to pick. You got a rivalry game, Michigan at Michigan State. Penn State is at Ohio State this day. Think about what Penn State's already been through. You know the Buckeyes are going to be there. Penn State will have already played Wisconsin. They will have already played Auburn. They will have already played at Iowa. I mean, they could lose all those games, but you know what else they could do? They could also win all those games. What if Penn State were undefeated? What if James Franklin and the Nittany Lions were to have collectively just gotten up off the deck, and that's an undefeated versus undefeated? And you're trying to choose between that and a rivalry game in the SEC East that is just a knockdown, dragout knife fight every year. I've been to it several times. Oh, and by the way, you got Tar Heels at Irish, and you got UCLA at Utah. There are so many consequential games here, and I looked around, and I don't think we can pull a twofer on this day. Uh, There is kind of a path, but there's not really. So I am choosing Georgia-Florida. There are arguments to be made elsewhere. I just don't think there's a bigger game than that. What could change this, of course, is the aforementioned scenario of undefeated-undefeated, and let's say that I don't think Georgia would because the schedule is a lot more workable, but Florida will have already played couple of losable games by this point. I mean, if, if they lose them, then all of a sudden maybe that game loses a little bit of luster. And that's the good news about this. We can adjust. But right now, I mean, I don't know if you guys agree or not. I think we got to go Georgia, Florida there. And then let's just pivot as necessary. Week 10 is a game at the marquee, at least, that I've chosen virtually every year to attend. We've got LSU Alabama in week 10. We got Auburn at A&M which has been a good game in any given year in the SEC West. Uh, It's probably going to be up to Auburn to uh, fulfill in terms of at least matchup profile. Indiana's at Michigan. I have no idea what to expect. I have no idea. I mean, that's 10 weeks into the season. I don't know where either program is. Texas at Iowa State is one that I have soft Sharpie right now. I'm looking at it on my list because I cannot find another way to get to Iowa State this year. You already heard me talk about trying to get up there for the Iowa game, and it's very, very hard uh, given the other selections that Saturday. Texas at Iowa State put a pin on that one. Ohio State at Nebraska, I don't know why I put that. I just put it there because we're talking about Nebraska later in the show, and JP, Angels in the Outfield, you know, it could happen. Oregon at Washington, USC at Arizona State. You guys probably roll your eyes when I keep putting these Pac-12 games on here. I think there's a lot of good teams on the West Coast. Uh, There may not be a great team, but I think there are a lot of good teams out there. I'm choosing LSU at Alabama tentatively. I know some of the criticism from the first half of the season was it was SEC heavy. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have realized this. They play the best football in the country 
They got the best venues in the country. They got the most rabid fan bases in the country. It's going to be SEC heavy. When you can choose where you want to go and you're trying to get yourself in the best environments to see the best games and the best teams, you're going to be parked in the southeast a lot. And so I'll probably roll with LSU-Bama here. But again, with the ability to pivot right up to Ames, Iowa, Texas at Iowa State, I would not be at all upset if that's where we ended up. Week 11. Now, this is one where I think we probably have the most flexibility out of any of the weekends, especially later in the year. Oklahoma is at Baylor. Baylor could be undefeated. They could be a four-loss team. Let's just put that one in mind, and then let's just turn the page. Bob Seeger. Michigan is at Penn State on this Saturday, and I think at this point in the year, aside from the truly elite teams, you're saying the same thing about every one of these teams. They could be this, they could be that. So this is just, we're looking way down the road. These are all could be elite matchups. They could be. Notre Dame's at Virginia, Arizona State at Washington, Arkansas at LSU, Miami, Florida State. Those are all games that fit the same criteria there. So I'll tell you what I chose. I chose Michigan at Penn State. This is given the fact that we did not choose Auburn at Penn State. So basically what we're trying to find here is we're trying to find the Penn State whiteout game. That's what we're trying to find. And I hope for our sake that that gets announced sooner rather than later. This one is tentative. It's very much written in pencil, but I'm choosing Michigan at Penn State. But you never, you never know this Notre Dame-Virginia game, just to give you an example, does not stand out to you right now. Any given year, the ACC is workable. And any given year, some team could rise to the forefront and become a surprise contender. And that's why I put those games on the list of notable in week 11. It's on the periphery. It's on the fringes. But you never know. So I'm choosing Michigan, Penn State, written in pencil. Week 12, Virginia Tech is at Miami in week 12. Iowa State is at Oklahoma in week 12. Oregon is at Utah. That's a big one. That's potentially a very big one to me in week 12. Uh, Georgia Tech, now you know that I have them as the most underrated team in the ACC, so I'm going to give them a little love here. They're at Notre Dame. I don't assume that will be a largely consequential game, just in case, though. We're a long way away. We'll see. And UCLA is at USC. To me, this one's pretty easy, man. we got to we got to go to the Big 12. It could be the first of two Big 12 championship games. Could be. So I'm going to go Iowa State at Oklahoma. It will have been the first time that we can see Iowa State. And I think it's the first time that we have seen Oklahoma in the year if we can't make it to the Red River shootout. And it's the first time that we will have been in Norman all year. So let's go Iowa State at Oklahoma. I did not have a lot of trouble in Week 12. Week 13 is the last weekend in the regular season. This is, as you know, rivalry weekend for most, not all. We've got the Iron Bowl. We've got Ohio State at Michigan. Uh, we've got Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. We've got AM at LSU. So I circled the Iron Bowl because I always default to my upbringing. Again, with the understanding that as we get closer, if, if Jim Harbaugh and Michigan have rallied the troops and Brian Harson and Auburn have fallen flat in week one, of course, we default or rather we pivot from the default to Ohio State versus Michigan. But I'll tell you another one that could really rise up and steal the headlines, and that's Texas A&M and LSU. I mean, that one's turned really nasty lately. And it's also a couple of programs that right now, you don't know really what to expect. You know what the talent roster says they're capable of, but you also see enough question marks to think could be a crushing disappointment there too. I just keep my eye on A&M LSU. I'm going to default to the Iron Bowl. It's at Auburn. Uh, it always is a little more rowdy when it's at Auburn because I've always candidly believed that game means more to Auburn than it does to Alabama. And so let's circle the Iron Bowl there. So in summary, the week 7 through 12, we're going Cal at Oregon on a Friday, and I can be talked off any one of these. We're going USC at Notre Dame in week 8. Week 9, we've got Georgia, Florida. Week 10 is LSU at Alabama, and we're going Michigan at Penn State. That's really soft right now at week 11. Iowa State at OU week 12, and then Bama at Auburn in week 13. So you got to look up and down this list because I just want all the credit with none of the blame. So if any of this goes wrong, I'm putting it on you because you didn't talk me off of it. Now, if we end up seeing instant classics, you will see no man on the face of the earth stretch harder than I do to try and pat myself on the back. But this is fun. It can be grueling. It can be taxing, but it can be fun too. So we got a little while. Let me know what you think in the comment section. We've got a 13 of these weeks to sort out. And then we get in conference championship Saturday and bowl season. And then it just really becomes who gives you the best media gift. That's really what it becomes at that point. I got a sweet book bag a couple of years ago from Santa Clara. 
still use that thing every day. All right, let's roll on. We got several big questions in all the Power Five conferences. I want to pause. You know, I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to say it very nicely. I had someone, and that's as specific as I'd like to get. Hope I haven't given an identity away. They came in the comments the other day and said, hey, you're misleading the audience when you say that you're doing every conference, but you don't do the G5s. So let me just state this clearly for the future record. Unless otherwise noted, we will not be talking about G5 conferences on the show in preview format. There's, you have told me not to do it. You guys have told me. So if there was this huge rush of demand for Sunbelt content, we'd be pumping it out. I format the show for you, not for myself. I could talk about ULL all night. I wouldn't have a problem with that. You guys have told me at about a 20 to 1 click-through ratio, you care about the Power 5 content, therefore that's why we go down these roads. So here we go. Biggest questions in all the Power 5 conferences. This is the beginning of this list. It's certainly not going to be a conclusive list. Let's start in the ACC. And you can answer these right along with me, and some of you are going to answer these pretty quick. Is there anyone who's ready to jump up and bite Clemson? Could be North Carolina. Could be, surprisingly, Virginia Tech. Maybe Virginia, Florida State, Miami. But I'm not talking collectively. You don't get to field an all-star team. You don't get to take Phil Dracovic from Boston College. You don't get to take the linebacker core from here and the wide receiver core from there. It would be fascinating and may still end up the same way, sadly. But I want to know, is there one team out there? Now, you would obviously lean North Carolina in the preseason. I would, too, as giving one unit the best chance at maybe dethroning Clemson. I think it's been six years in a row now for the Tigers. But I just want to know, you know, right now, there is, there's common sense and then there's reality. So common sense would tell you if you got a conference where thir- I think the number's 13 of 14 starting quarterbacks are returning, and the one that's not is Clemson, which will preseason be, I would assume, uh, the all-ACC quarterback in DJ Uyankalale. So the other one, every single program. I mean, that's one point. The other point is every single program has got a returning quarterback. So what that would indicate to you, also you've been beat on for like over half a decade by the same team, that would indicate to you it's probably time. That's what common sense would tell you. But then you zoom in and you try and find where it's actually going to happen. It's hard. Now, North Carolina doesn't play Clemson in the regular season. So if that were to happen, it wouldn't happen until the end of the year. But I really wonder if you've got an answer better than North Carolina. Is it going to be Miami? Is Florida State going to shock people this year? Crazier things have happened. But you're going to be dealing from a roster deficit if you do it. And you're not going to be doing it in a year like maybe 2017, where Kelly Bryant was the quarterback there. They still made it to the playoff. But that's a more vulnerable Clemson team. You can talk all you want to about the inexperience of DJ Uyangalale. I'll tell you what. I'll take my chances betting on him if you want to take your chances betting with me against him. I'd be happy to play that role. What about in the SEC? I want to talk about two of them, Texas A&M and Georgia. I call it the springboard model, basically. It's where you've already got a really good program. You've already got a really good team. They are accomplished. You're sending guys to the league. And so in a lot of ways, a a fan of maybe an inferior program would look at you as one of the standards, one of the models with which their program would hopefully follow. But that doesn't mean that's how they feel in College Station or in Athens. Now, these are not mirror image programs. And in fact, I would argue they're at different stages. But yet, same question remains. At Texas A&M, you may look at them and say, good for you guys, you almost made the playoff last year. Well, they just said we didn't make the playoff. And you may look at them and say, good job, guys, you're like a top six, top seven caliber program right now. And they're looking at you and saying, you know who else is over here? You see him? You see him over there? Yeah, we're looking to the west, I guess, camera, camera east. Is that camera east, stage east or stage west? Well, there's this crimson gorilla 500 pound that sits in the corner of our room constantly and its name is Alabama. So it doesn't really matter if we're the seventh best team in the country. If they're number one, I mean, all due respect, we're paying our head coach this much money and we're recruiting this many good players and our stadium seats, this many people and our facilities are this nice. There is no hamstring that's pulled around here in terms of resource. And so we expect to be able to compete And it's nice. It's a good story if we're number seven. 
We want to be higher than that. Number seven may not be good enough. So how do you springboard is the question. The answer is offense. It's pretty simple. Defensively, they've gotten where they need to be. They've recruited, they've developed, and they got the right staff in place. They've been able to keep that staff around. It's offense. I mean, that's, that's it. And that's why there's so much focus being paid to guys like Haynes King, because that's really the only way you can springboard at Georgia. What's the only way they can really springboard there? What else can they accomplish? Win the SEC East? They've done it. Win the SEC Championship? They've done it. Win a playoff game? They've done it. The only thing left, the only box left to check is national championship. And I want you to imagine walking in the shoes of Kirby Smart. I'm not asking you to feel sorry for him, nor would you even if I did. But imagine entering every year, especially knowing the history of the program, hadn't won a championship in several generations, and yet knowing full well when you kick it off week one in September, if this doesn't end in a national championship win, there's going to be a large chunk of that little pie chart of my fan base It's going to be upset with me. How do you springboard? How do you clear that final hurdle? It's quarterback. It's offense. It's not hard to figure out. It's maybe a lot harder to execute. It's not hard to figure out. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. In the Big Ten, we have to ask the question about Jim Harbaugh. We've been asking it. About Scott Frost, it's now time to ask it. We're not one year in anymore. We're several years in now. we got to ask, are the doubters going to vanish or are they going to be validated? Because the doubters are there, and I don't really even need to recap what they say about Nebraska or what they say about Michigan, but 2020 sure will reveal a lot in this conference. You could say that about every team. I think one of the more overused phrases in college football preview magazine season is, this is an important year for so-and-so. This is a pivotal year. I got a breaking news. Uh, We should have had a graphic. I got breaking news for everyone. It's always an important year. No one ever does this pro bono. No one ever goes to war on Saturday for charity. It's an important year for everyone. It's a pivotal year for everyone. Now, if we want to categorize it, some more than others, Scott Frost feels a little bit differently right now than, let's say, Nick Saban does. Yes, we can grant ourselves that. What do the doubters say? The doubters say, Scott Frost, maybe he wasn't the right guy for the job. I think that's pretty short-sighted. I think the scarier version of the doubter is the one who says, Well, Scott Frost proved he can coach and build a program. It's not like we haven't seen him do it. We didn't pull him up from being a coordinator at the high school level and just plop him in the head man's chair at Nebraska. What if the reality here is no one's capable of doing it anymore? I refuse to believe that, by the way. I think maybe it may take longer to do it at Nebraska, but it doesn't really matter what I think because if what I think is not attached to reality, I could just be wrong. Has happened before, probably will happen again. The biggest fear in Lincoln, Nebraska, and surrounding areas, of course, is what if the doubters are right? What if they're validated this year? So fingers crossed for every fan of college football, essentially, the V word that happens there is vanish. The doubters vanish. They're not validated. Now, at Michigan, this has obviously been several more years in the making, and it's a lot higher profile a story, but are the doubters right there? The doubters around Jim Harbaugh, again, not to rehash things that we talked about a thousand times, but it's just... We thought we had one thing when we hired him. The game was pivoting kind of simultaneous to us hiring him. And you look at Michigan's record and their success, relatively speaking, under Jim Harbaugh, 2015, 10 wins. 2016, 10 wins. I remember sitting in the press box at Bryant-Denny Stadium watching what I thought was about to be a seminal moment, 
a win for Michigan over Ohio State. You guys remember how that game ended? They're still arguing about it, but things were never the same after that. I got a Michigan buddy back home that would swear to you the entire tide of that rivalry and therefore the future trajectory of the Michigan program forever changed for the worse that day. And if you look at the evidence on your screen right now, if you're watching after that, it kind of bears it out. Now, I don't know what to make of 2020. It would be hypocritical for me to make excuses conveniently for the programs that I believe in, like Penn State or even LSU, and not afford Jim Harbaugh the same excuses. That's really what they are. We all understand that. So I'm willing to push aside 2020. I'm willing to do that. Jim Harbaugh has not been a disaster there. It's all about standard and expectation. Fact of the matter is, if we were to have taken Michigan's results and we put them at Purdue, they'd be thrilled. This is not Purdue. This is Michigan. And so the doubters say he's good, and that's where it ends. By today's standards, he is a good head head coach. Not elite, not top caliber, certainly not good enough to overtake Ohio State, get us in the playoff mix. So are they going to vanish, those doubters, or are they going to be validated? In the Big 12, it's really simple for me. Is Oklahoma's defense ready to win a championship? Because to me, this is kind of the Georgia of the Big 12. There's nothing else to talk about here. With Oklahoma, there's nothing else to talk about because they've also done it all. Can they win the big rivalry games? When do they not? Can they go to the Big 12 championship game and win it? Yeah. Can they make the playoff? Yeah. So that's where their holdup's been. They got a couple of blowout losses, and then they got one overtime loss, instant classic in the Rose Bowl. But the question has always revolved around defense. Until we can play X caliber of defense, we will not be able to achieve Y. I think they got the X caliber defense. Not Excalibur. X caliber defense now. I think they can accomplish Y. But again, doesn't matter what I think. In some random studio in Nashville in May, matters what Alex Grinch and those kids he's recruited, matters what they can do when they tee it up in September. But my point with Oklahoma is now, whereas a lot of you are still going to have to see it to believe it, I think it's there. Just like the ingredients have to be in the kitchen before the meal's made, if the ingredients are there, the meal's capable of being made, you still got to go make it. They got the ingredients now. When you watch them, I'll tell you the first thing that'll stand out, if you have not watched Oklahoma closely, you watch them closely first few weeks of the year. If they got questions on defense, it won't be up front anymore. You won't see them being blown off the ball. You won't see folks gash them for eight yards per carry on the ground. Those days are gone. You may be able to throw on them early in the year before they get things settled in. I think they eventually will get things settled in on the back end of that defense too. They're going to be a championship caliber product, both sides of that ball, for the first time since Lincoln Riley's been there by the end of the year when it counts the most. And in the Pac-12, let's gather ourselves and let's pack up and let's head out west. I'm not going to sing a Kid Rock song, but I do want to ask this. Everyone's excited about the Pac-12 having a new commissioner. Everyone's excited in Eugene about Oregon's prospect for maybe contending for, oh, let's say, a playoff spot. And I am too. But in the Pac-12, the issue out there has been USC. USC has been the issue. This is me pausing so we can change the lower third so I can make it look good when we cut it up afterwards. And no. Okay, so there we go. In the Pac-12, it's all on USC. The fact of the matter, and they know it out West, even though a lot of them don't want to say it out loud. In the Pac-12, it's USC and then it's everyone else. I don't mean they're the only one that can win. I don't mean they're the only one that's competitive or take football seriously. Uh, In fact, I would argue there are entities out there recruiting at a higher level than them and taking football more seriously than them. What I mean is if you want to save the Pac-12, if you want to resurrect the profile of that conference, you can't do it without Southern Cal. Mario Cristobal and the folks at Oregon can perform at as high a level as they possibly can. Washington can do it. Arizona State can do it. You're not collectively resurrecting the brand, the Pac-12 brand, until USC gets it right. And that's on Clay Helton. I mean, that's on his staff. I look at their offensive line. I look at the inconsistency at quarterback. Talk about names all you want to. I don't care about names. I care about production. You can have stars next to your name. You can have all the preseason magazine accolades you want to. They turn the ball over too much. They throw the ball to the other team too much. You saw it happen in the Pac-12 championship game. We sat right at this desk. Turnovers are not supposed to be predictable. We sat right here and said, hey, USC, they haven't turned the ball over a whole lot this year. They've benefited from a lot of turnover games. It's freakish. It's random. They'll turn it over against Oregon. This thing will correct itself. It'll kind of draw back to the norm. And what do you know? It did. And Oregon 
I think they were a point spread underdog, went and won the Pac-12 championship game, a game they weren't even supposed to be playing in. So I say all that to say I don't have a ton of brimming confidence about the mixture and the collection they have at USC. I hope I'm wrong because I love to see all the big programs succeed, but I'd certainly love to see this conference come back to what we know it's capable of. It hasn't been 40 years ago, guys. It's only been about a decade and a half that, in a lot of ways, the attention of the nation was focused on the Pac-12. Kind of first and foremost because the alpha program in America was Southern Cal, and so everyone else had to really work off of what they were doing out there. So fingers crossed for the Pac-12 and several fingers crossed. You know that thing where... Kind of, there we go. Cross all four of them. That's me right now when we're talking Southern Cal. Looks like a gang sign if you just pause it. So let's not pause it. Let's continue. Speaking of California, I know a lot of times when we're talking about SEC football, the state of California only comes up in recruiting. And more and more, teams in the South have gone to California to get talent. And I guess you could tie it in loosely here because JT Daniels was formerly a California kid. He was at USC, transferred to Georgia. You know all that story. But I want to classify what we're about to talk about under that it means something, but we're not quite sure what it means, header. I just know it doesn't mean nothing. So here's what I'm talking about. JT Daniels has been in California for a few days, going to be out there for like 10 days. Big deal. If that's where the story ended, then I would have just wasted two or three minutes of your time. But then when I read this list and I find out Demetrius Robertson's out there too, Kyrus Jackson's out there, Justin Robinson's out there, Adonnie Mitchell's out there, Jermaine Burton's out there, Darnell Washington, several more of them are out there. What, have we opened a satellite campus in Berkeley? Well, no, we have not. What's happened is JT Daniels has just taken half of Georgia's offense out to California to work out. These are the kinds of stories that you dismiss if your team's not doing it, and then you bathe in these kinds of stories if your team does do it. Because it makes you think that there's a togetherness and a bond and a collective buy-in. And I would argue that, yeah, that's absolutely what it indicates. Consider the 180 that Georgia football and many other programs are finding themselves in right now. When you did not have a spring and you did not have a returning quarterback and you had a brand new offensive coordinator and you had limited and interrupted installation periods and you had zero team chemistry and then you had a quarterback Just throw up the deuces and bounce. What a great decision that turned out to be, by the way. There was a name noticeably absent from the NFL draft a couple of weeks ago, and it's the same one I'm talking about right now. Not to be overly critical. Consider now that we get a returning quarterback, and we got now a year under the belt of Todd Munkin running this offense. Oh, by the way, that chemistry got plenty of it. Got loads of it. And also, you have unlimited install time, and if you do have limitations from the NCAA... Who cares? Because your players just say, we're going to go to California and work on some stuff. We'll be back in 10 days. That's nice. It's really nice to see. I went over to Dogs 24-7 today. I wanted to hit up the message board there. And I was asking them, what do you guys think about this? I didn't just want to ask what they thought about players going to California. What I said was, because where this is going to matter is really in result. If If they're terrible this year offensively, if they're 48th in the nation, you don't really care about a trip to California in May. But I asked them to complete this sentence for me. In December, we'll be saying what about Georgia's offense? And I got several submissions. I think all of them are viable. We'll see. Some of them were more stretches than others. Best offense we've ever had. Good enough to win it all. Finally, Kirby Smart handed over the keys to Todd Munkham. Offense, I thought this was a really good one from, uh, from Dogscape. Offense with Daniels has a good beat, and it's easy to dance to. Now, there was also uh, more than one poster that said, you'll be saying we were the best offense in the country. You give me top five or top 10, I think you guys will be fine. Two things that I'm feeling about Georgia right now. Number one, JT Daniels is who he is. This is where I always try and caution folks. Now, there's a a kind of a caveat, so I want to follow this up really quickly because if you pause, then other people start talking. They don't hear the second part of what you say. Happened a lot last week when we were talking about point spreads. JT Daniels is who he is. What I mean by that is this is not a guy who's only made it 60% of the way to his physical ceiling. He is who he is. So anyone who's expecting a quantum 20% leap in production or productivity, I don't think you're going to get that. You've got the player you've got. But part two is that's not a problem 
because he wasn't terrible last year, wasn't bad. He's very good and, and had flashes of brilliance. And so a lot of his productivity is tied to what's around him. And you'll have easily the best stable of wide receivers, George Pickens or not, that Georgia has had under Kirby Smart. So part two there is I'm not worried about that because I think if everything else falls into place personnel-wise, what JT Daniels is pretty good enough to win and do everything Georgia wants to do. But here's the second thing that I'm feeling with Georgia. 2021 could just be a delayed gratification situation. And again, I think several programs fall into this category. These changes that we're talking about, they weren't made this past offseason, guys. Kirby made a lot of these changes before 2020. The new offensive coordinator that everyone demanded that they hire, well, he did that. He didn't do it this past offseason. He did it an offseason ago. It's just that we had this thing called COVID, throw a wrench into everyone's plans. He went and got quarterbacks, JT Daniels being one of them, Jamie Newman being the other one. Off the transfer market, it didn't work out. COVID made a lot of stuff not be able to work out. I think that LSU game woke him up. That didn't happen last year. It happened two years ago in the SEC championship game. And I think that he went into the offseason and he was fully planning on what you'll eventually see from Georgia this year happening last year. It's just when you get spring ripped from you and then you get a quarterback that you thought was probably going to be your starter, not be your starter. Dewan Mathis ends up starting for you at Arkansas week one. You get a lot of the rug pulled out from under you. You default to what you know. Fact of the matter is what George is going to be this year, I really think in his heart of hearts, Kirby had committed himself to being last year. It's just when you got Stetson Bennett pulling the trigger for you, there's a lot of stuff you can't be that you can be when JT Daniels is the man. 2020 is going to be looked at uh, several years from now for a lot of programs. I just think Georgia may be one of them. Is saying, boy, you know, hopefully Michigan fits this description. You know, there was a lot that we had already done and our head coach had already done that just wasn't able to play itself out in 2020. And boy, we really, we really wrung our fists over nothing, didn't we? Not that a season doesn't matter. I know they all matter, but I just think a lot of Hay was in the barn last year that you didn't get to reap the benefits of that maybe this year you will be able to. All right, the end. Let's put a cap on that and let's move on. I could pick a number of kids from Georgia to talk about here, but since we already talked about the dogs a fair amount, I wanted to talk about some impact freshmen. Chris Hummer did a really good job. He put, I think, 100 true freshmen to watch, impact freshmen to keep an eye on. Now, I'm not going to go down the full list. That's on 247sports.com if you want to look at it, but as we enter preview magazine season. I think the biggest blind spot in preview magazine culture is just this, which we luckily specialize in here, and that is having intimate knowledge and familiarity with true freshmen. It used to be it didn't matter. It used to be freshmen couldn't play back in the day, but even semi-recently, it didn't matter because the true freshmen that were truly going to be impact players were so few and far between, like a Jadavion Clowney, for example. You just figured, oh, I'll know their names, that's not the way it is anymore, guys. It's just changed. The game has changed. And I think what's happened is better development across the spectrum of high school football combined with systems being built in a more simplified manner for younger kids to be able to grasp. They've kind of meshed into this formula, into this, this environment now where your average freshman is more likely to get on the field early. And because of that, I mean, if you're going to sit around and want to know this game, especially double especially if you're going to want to bet on it, you better know these true freshmen's names. This is not just for the parents of the players. I can assure you of that. Let's start at Ohio State. I'm going to go down the list here. I'm going to, I got about six or seven names that I'm going to rattle off here that I think you need to know, and we'll probably do this segment several times. There are two of them at Ohio State, Jordan Hancock and Ja'Kalen Johnson. These are both corners. Again, if you follow recruiting, you're going to know pretty much all these names. The ratings are important here, and I'll get back to the ratings in a second. Ohio State secondary was bad last year, inexcusably bad. It was inexcusably bad for a team with fractions of their tradition and resource, uh, but it was, it was really reprehensible to see Ohio State ripped up and down the field like they were. They know the stat. You may not. 122nd in total pass yardage allowed. Whew. So let's fix that this year. Now, you look at the two projected starters for them. Seven Banks and Cameron Brown. You didn't see them in the spring because they were out uh, dealing with injury. But these two cats that I'm talking about right now, you can see them. You can see their full profile on the screen that Jesse's showing you right now. What's important about these two guys, I was talking to Dave Biddle before we came on air from Bucknuts.com. I asked him, do you think those guys are immediate contributors? Are they depth providers? Where do you feel like they're going to slide into the rotation? 
He said, I'd be surprised if they're week one starters, but they'll certainly be in the mix. And what's important here is these are two kids at a position that are the highest rated that Ohio State has recruited at that position, corner, since 2017. Maybe you've heard of these names, Jeff Okuda and Sean Wade. Don't let what you saw from Sean Wade last year fool you. You got him in the right position. He's a baller. I don't have to brag about Jeff Okuda. But you've had Arnett come through there. You had Okuda. You had Wade. And then you look around, and you you can be hopeful for Seven Banks and Cam. I mean, you can be hopeful for guys. I'm not saying I'm not. What I'm saying is these are guys, Hancock and Johnson are guys that you look at in week one, and they're in the two deep maybe or maybe in the three deep. But then you look again in week eight, and you say, oh, I didn't see them early because they weren't early enrollees, but man, like we're halfway through the season now. I think these guys are going to be like primetime contributors down the stretch the rest of the way for us. Those are very important players. I mean, those are, those are legitimate corners that could see the field a lot as true freshmen. Go up to Michigan right quick. Donovan Edwards. Now, I was sitting either at this desk or on one of our side sets on National Signing Day. And this was a fight. I mean, Donovan Edwards was one of the top running backs in the country. They were, they being Michigan, they were fighting. At one point, Bama, Ohio State was in the mix. Notre Dame, I remember, was strongly in the mix. And Michigan kept him in state. I believe, I want to say in state. Edwards was somewhere up there, let me say that. So they got him. I felt like they were the leader and they got him. There is a, a huge fight here going into signing day, and it's good, and everyone around Michigan is talking about, okay, we got a game-changer at running back. Well, okay, and I agree with that. But do you truly believe in the definition game-changer? And if you do, do you believe in it being attached to Donovan Edwards? Because I do. So that's why if I were to look at Michigan's running back depth right now, I see Hassan Haskins, I see Blake Corum, and if you didn't know any better, you'd say, okay, so Edwards comes in, he'll probably get some mop-up duty as a true freshman, then we'll see him as a sophomore. No, no, not if you believe in the definition of game changer. If you believe in that, I all due respect to Haskins and Corum, Donovan Edwards has got a talent profile they don't have. The biggest question that comes into play, as is the case with every true freshman running back, is do you have a ball carrier or do you have a complete running back? Because ball carriers lose games. Because ball carriers cannot do the full complement of things that you need a running back to do. But if you've got a complete running back, it doesn't matter how old they are. And in this case, all things equal, Edwards is more likely to be on the field. Because when you boil it down, he's the most talented running back they have the second he steps on campus. And so keep an eye on him because once he earns that trust, he's not going to be waiting behind, folks. This is not a coaching staff that has two or three years equity built up. they got to win. they got to win now. Let's go to Oklahoma, linebacker position. Going to be talking about defense a whole lot with Oklahoma this year. Great opportunity for a young man by the name of Clayton Smith. He's a linebacker, as I just told you, coming into Oklahoma. The 24-7 sports composite had this kid nearly in five-star territory. I mean, he was in the 37, 38 range, so he was right there. But he's got a great opportunity because Oklahoma's defense under Alex Grinch, they got a ton of returning talent. I mean, they got a guy in Nick Benito, for instance, at linebacker that could end up being an All-American and put up untold amounts of sacks this year, and you get to slide into that rotation. You're not some guy, Clayton Smith's not some guy, that comes in and everyone's saying, all right, you got to be the savior here. Terrible defensively, you're our only hope. Nope, got about 14 or 15 of them over there, and he can just, he can just slide in, but here's what he brings. He brings a raw, pure pass rush ability the likes of which, even as good as I like this defense, very few other cats on that defense have. So he's a little bit raw, and the benefit is they're not relying on him. Okay, They don't need him. It's not do or die here. But the luxury is I think they're still going to get a lot from him. So again, kind of like we talked about with these corners at Ohio State, what you see in week one from Clayton Smith may be a little different than what you see in week eight from Clayton Smith. Running back is also a big focus at Clemson right now. Travis Etienne feels like he's been there since uh, the Bush administration. And so he's gone now. Travis Etienne out. And Clemson, you look at as being one of the programs, one of the very few programs that's still capable of duplicating production, even though they lose, you know, obviously a long established talent at the position. Will Shipley is a running back, he's a five star running back. And he's coming in. And I want you to listen to these athletic comparables. So the athletic profile, as we call it. 
40-yard dash time with Travis Etienne was a 4-4-5, and Shipley's a 4-4-5 guy. The vertical, a 33-and-a-half for Etienne, 36 for Shipley. Shipley's a really good east-west guy. His athleticism surprised even the Clemson staff. Dabo Swinney was public about it. He, I mean, he said he was better than we thought he'd be. And this is talking about a true freshman in his first spring practice. Physically, also, Dabo said, way ahead of where we thought he'd be. I mean, this is a guy that they can, they can afford, again, once he earns that trust, they can afford to put him on the field this year, and he's going to be a guy that you look at and say, boy, I thought they were going to drop off at that position, and it turns out they really didn't. And so Will Shipley's a name. And also, I wanted to go a couple of wide receivers here really quick. James Blackstream is a name that I don't know a lot of you were following on the recruiting trail. They certainly were in Atlanta. He was just inside our top 300 in the composite. He went to Georgia Tech. Why is this name important? Well, Georgia Tech's returning receiver with the best measurables and really the best statistics is Jameer Gibbs, but he's not a receiver. He's a running back. So they are really barren in terms of proven productivity in that receiver room. For his money, James Blackstrain, by the way, is the third highest rated wide receiver they've ever brought in to this program. So He's not an early enrollee, but they feel around that program, number one, due to the opportunity that's bountiful there, and number two, due to his more technically polished profile, I think he'll be on the field pretty early for them, and you'll see him as an early option in that offense. And lastly, but certainly not least, in fact, a kid we've talked about a lot, Ajay Hall at Alabama. I've been doing drills on uh, his name, by the way, because we really ingrained in our mind a bad habit. And so you got to go a jai hall, a jai hall, a jai hall. I do it when I'm driving around town sometimes, just doing name drills. So we got that one, Mr. Hall. But what he's going to have is an integral role on this Alabama offense as a true freshman. Here's what the benefit you get with Hall is. You don't give up speed. You don't give up athleticism. You certainly don't give up hands. We're seeing highlights from the spring game. He had four catches for 72 yards in the spring game. It felt like more than that, to be honest with you, because all of them were contested. And he didn't let you down in any one of them. And he wasn't even catching balls from the number one quarterback there either. But what you get from him is all the skill you've been used to watching all those other guys have, but in a 6'3", 200-pound body, instead of the usual 5'11", right at 6-foot kind of receiver that Alabama's had there. Oh, they certainly haven't been hurting for anything at the wide receiver position. But what you get from him is you get all the benefits and the athleticism, probably going to be a devastating blocker for them. Nick Saban didn't even try and hide it. They were on the field with him during the spring game asking, who's this guy? He said, well, he's a, he's a guy you're going to see a lot this year. He's going to play a lot for us. So I think he's going to pop from day one. Those are just a few of the several names to keep an eye on as true freshmen. You go to 247sports.com. Chris Hummer still got that piece up. There are a lot of names to familiarize yourself with. And that's all we got for tonight. Also, I just want to remind you, I wanted to put it at the end of the show. I had, I had a slot open tomorrow, but I figured I'm going to open up some more. So uh, those of you, I got, I got a waiting list, but I told you I was going to hit the reset button. So I'm being fair. I am opening up some slots this week for Zoom consultations. So any of you who want to get in on that that haven't been able to, I know I got a little bit of a waiting list. Well, it's going to be, it's going to be open season right now. So I got some spots this week. If you want one of those consultations, hit me up via email, joshpate706 at gmail.com, and we'll get you set up. If it's podcasting you want to do, sports media in general, written or otherwise, start a YouTube channel, we'll talk about it. Uh, Thank you so much for sticking around, by the way, tonight. Those of you who are watching live, uh, we will make it up to you somewhere down the road when we have a commodity that we can actually put in your hands. But until then, thank you is going to have to be enough. For Director Emeritus Colin, for Jesse and Company in Connecticut, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great start to your week, and God bless. most all-star studded challenge ever and this time it's every competitor for themselves best challenge ever the challenge all-stars new season now streaming on paramount plus go to paramountplus.com to try it free terms apply